You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I came down, I think for the first time, maybe 18, 20 years ago, for first time, they called and asked if I'd come and speak at the chapel, and I said, one condition, if I can get in a room with Dennis Kinlaw. I'd heard of him, I'd never got a chance to talk to him, not for long anyway, and they said, I, he, he's not seeing anybody, but we'll check. Well, they checked, he said he would do it. So I drove down almost 20 years ago, went in his living room, sat for two hours while he just unloaded on scripture and theology. I came back the next year, did the same thing, did the next thing. So I came down to almost 20 years ago because I wanted to see Dennis Kinlaw, but over the years I've fallen in love with Asbury. You guys are a very unique university. I don't know whether you realize that or not, but the currents that pull at higher education right now, if you had Dr. Brown's office, you would feel that tension. And the fact that you are in a university that is strong and Christ-centered uh, is a gift, and you are blessed to have it. Now, they've asked if I'd come and speak to you about the heart, because you're in a series right now that talks about what it means to give your entire life to God. It was probably 21 years ago when I moved to College Wesleyan Church. When I first went there, the, I had a laptop. It was, it was a 386 MS-DOS. This was amazing. And if you, yeah, I mean, it came over on the Mayflower, so it was really old. But <laughs> if you knew the system, I mean, you didn't have to wait for anything. If you knew the codes, you could just like push Control-Alt-F7, boom, and it's right there. Control-Alt-F2, boom, it's right there. So if you know the codes, you know your way around it. But it was, in fact, old. So one day it started to break down. So I got on, I called tech support, and he said, all right, uh, I think you're having a problem with your operating system. He said, can you open Windows? I went, well, probably, but it's March. Why would I do that? Now it occurred to him that he had a complete moron on his hands. <laughs> so he started to say, sir, uh... Windows is an operating system that helps you do multiple things. Uh, you don't have it then. I said, I don't have anything like what you're talking about. He said, well, try this and try this. And after he tried a few things, he finally said, uh, sir, have you considered getting a new computer? Well, by now he made me mad. And so I said to him, you know, I've written two and a half books on this thing. I don't know what you've done on yours. There was a pause. And then he said, sir, with all due respect, you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a new operating system. Well, he had me. So I went out and I bought my first PC with Windows. It was amazing. I could watch videos while I wrote sermons. I could do Excel spreadsheet. I could send emails. I could solve problems all at the same time. 
Then after about five, seven years, I put away the childish things and got a Mac. And this baby was awesome. My Mac computer could talk to my phone and my phone could talk to my iPad. I'm not making this up. You're looking like, no, yes, it's true. So this truth, one night I'm laying in my bed, I got my Mac computer open and it is to Apple iTunes. And I was like, I don't know what this is. So I put my credit card in there and stuff and I start shopping for songs and I download this song and I think, yeah, I think I'm gonna want that song. And I was amazed. I never used my wallet. I never did anything. I just hit send or buy and it started downloading the song. And then the next morning I came downstairs, you guys, and my iPhone was laying on the step. And when I opened it, looked at it, it said, dude, last night, you downloaded Bruce Springsteen Darkness on the Edge of Town. It said, would you like that on your iPhone? I went, heck yeah! I hit it, and I watched that thing start to download, and in seconds, what was on my computer last night was now on my iPhone, even though it wasn't in the same room. You're acting like you know all this. The closest thing we have in the Bible to an operating system is called the heart or the mind. I remember my tech guy said three things to me. One, an operating system is the most important part of the computer. Two, there are better ones out there. And three, you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a better operating system. Can I translate this? The heart is the single most important part of your being. And there are better ones out there. And you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a better heart. If you had a better heart, you would no longer be afraid. You could love your enemies. You could be in a relationship with someone without needing to possess them. You could be in an entirely different room than God was in, and you could think his thoughts after him. If you had a better heart, you could discern things that confuse you right now. You could do anything that you wanted to do, anything, and it would be the right thing. You could fall out of bed, and it would be the right thing. So you wouldn't have to walk around saying, well, what would Jesus do? Think about it. Do you think Jesus got up in the morning and went, what would I do? He just did whatever he wanted to do, and it was the good, the true, and the beautiful. And if you're thinking to me right now, yeah, brother, but that was Jesus. It was his divinity. Then your theology, with all due respect, is jacked up because... Jesus became what you are so that you could become what he is.
stop moving him into some realm that is beyond human. He was 100% pure human. So holiness, as we call it, is for you and me to live inside the humanity of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, you guys, as far away as that may seem, yeah, you can say, yeah, well, that's awful hard. You can say, I'm not interested, but you can't say it isn't possible. And the hunger for that, that you could do anything you wanted to do, and it would naturally be good, true, and beautiful, not just for you, but for everyone around you, is an awesome vision. In the Bible, the heart is the seed of desire. It's not an organ. In the Bible, it's a metaphor for the integrating center of your entire being. The heart in the Bible takes on human characteristics. There are several passages that say the heart wills, or the heart feels, or the heart speaks, or the heart remembers or the heart desires. Jesus would even say, for from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, greed, envy, idolatry, slander, and arrogance. These all seem like actions to you, but in the Bible, they are rooted in the deepest part of your being, which is the heart. So, your mind only invents or creates whatever your heart desires. Your mind makes the movie that your heart has told it to make. Are you tracking? Because you're quiet. You're not tracking. So if you're having problems this morning with your thought life, the problem isn't your mind. Your mind is only doing what it's supposed to do. It's following your heart. The problem is with your heart. If you're having problems with your enemies and you got all these violent movies, you know how you have arguments in your head with somebody? Do you ever do that? Or am I the only guy? <laughs> and have you ever noticed in these arguments, you always win. You always drop the mic, and walk off. Well, that's just the way you are. And there you go. And your audience is like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry, man. You got me. That's not a problem with your mind. It's not a problem with your attitude. It's a problem with your heart. And if God could get hold of your heart, he would change literally everything about you. Wherever you end up in life and with whomever you spend it and whatever you find yourself doing, remember, your heart went there first and then the rest of you followed. So be careful, you guys. Be careful what you do with your heart. Now, here's the hard part. I'm going to show you a couple strips. The first one is just a normal ring. Here's the hard part of this. Every time we try to find the heart, we lose it. 
Jeremiah says the heart is clever and deceptive. And so people tend to go inward to find what is in the heart. This was the Greeks' conception of this. The Greeks said there is an outside which is green, there's an inside which is white. The outside is the physical body, it's the speech, it's the words that come out of your mouth, it's your gut reaction. The inside is the heart, the spirit, the mind, the soul. That's how the Greeks saw it. And they were part right, but they got it wrong exactly where they had it right. The heart is, in fact, an internal center that gives rise to everything else. If you take a band like this and you twist it, it becomes what's known as a Mobius strip. Now, if you twist it, you can see how what was once on the inside, if you follow it long enough, will actually be on the outside, and what is on the outside, if you follow it, will lead to the inside. This tells you two important things. One is that whatever is in the heart, sooner or later, will make its way to the outside. So, so if you want to know what's in the heart, you don't do what the Greeks do, go inward to find it. You wait for it, and it'll surface. Parker Palmer calls it a wild animal hiding in the woods. If you want to see it, the last thing you do is barge into the woods and start shouting for it to come out. You have to sit there, quiet and alert, and be patient. And then, every now and then, it'll flash your heart, the true condition of your heart. In your peripheral vision, you'll turn and it'll go. Three teenagers board a train in New York City, an overweight, old and weary-looking Russian woman gets onto the train. She hobbles to the nearest seat, sits herself down, grabs hold of the pole while the train pulls away. She's staring at the floor, shaking. She starts mumbling in Russian to herself under her breath. The teenagers notice this, and one of them makes a joke and the others start to laugh. And then the other makes a joke, and they laugh even harder. They start pointing to her legs and her ankles and her neck and her hair, and they're saying all sorts of hard things about her. Look at that old woman. The train stops. The woman gets off the seat. She goes to leave the train. She stops and turns and looks at the three teenagers and says in perfect English, I was not always this ugly. She leaves. The, the teens stare in disbelief. And then, almost as if on cue, they break into laughter. There it was. Rather than asking themselves, 
what in God's name is wrong with us? They ask themselves, what on earth is wrong with her? And they missed it. It was there. In a moment when they weren't even looking for it, the true nature of their inner being surfaced for a second in the time they turned and looked at it, it was gone. They had a chance. This is why the ancient mystics used to say the heart is aborted a thousand times a day. You will be in conversations today, in happenstance, passing by conversations, in the lobby, in the cafeteria, in the classroom. Things will arise. You'll reach and make a gut response and not even see that that response is coming straight from the center of your being. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. Unless you are aware and you're looking for it. Are you there? Are you still tracking? Can I turn the corner? I got to bring us home. Some of you are wondering, oh my goodness, how on earth am I going to deal with a heart that I can hardly see? We know this, that if it's what is on the inside eventually comes into the outside, then there will be moments when you see it if you're looking for it. And instead of defending yourself and deflecting the attention onto somebody else, well, that's just her problem. If you will look at yourself in the split second that it is there and say, dear God, what is in me that has given rise to that imagination or that guttural response or that overreaction of anger or that hyper-competitive spirit or that need to win the argument or that stubbornness that won't lose what is at the bottom of this, dear God? If you will stay open to that and permeable, if you will allow yourself to be wounded for a moment, God can do beautiful things in your heart. Here's how I would encourage you to help him. Very quickly, first, give it. Second, guard it. Third, Grow it. Give it means that you can give your heart and all of its affections to God himself. The heart will do what you tell it to do. So tell it to pay attention to the interests of God. And more than that, ask God to give you a new heart. Some of you, like me, some time ago, you, you sin and you know it. You have just enough morality to be sensitive to sin, but not enough resolve to overcome it. And so you will sin in your thought, in your speech, or in your action. And the moment you do that, you will confess. You'll say, Jesus forgave you, and then you'll go out and do it again. And you'll confess it again. Please forgive me. Then you'll do it again. And you'll just keep doing this. Can I just give you... Please, stop asking for forgiveness. Ask for a new heart. 
Maybe God is giving you only what you ask for, and you've been asking for forgiveness for too long. Ask for a new heart. I can tell you where I was at the river the time of day when the words of Ezekiel 36 hit me for the first time. I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to do my will willingly. And you guys, the thought occurred to me, God is the one who is going to do this. It isn't you. And it isn't your profs, it isn't the chapel, it isn't the system. It is God himself who will give you a new heart. And when he gives you a new heart, there is an entirely new set of desires and appetites. Had a lady in my church, had a heart transplant. And I said to her, what was the biggest surprise? She said, my appetites. It's crazy, Pastor Steve. I started liking foods I hated. And I started hating stuff I used to like. I was like, that's it. That's it. God can give you a new heart. And when he does, your desire for him will be natural. It will just grow out of you. Oh, you got to stop asking for forgiveness. It ain't working. Ask for something that wasn't there before, a sensitive, soft, pliable, permeable heart. Second, guard it. My friends in neuropsychology, I meet with these guys three, four times a year so they can tell me everything they know. They're telling me now that the, that the neuroscience is proving that if a person disciplines their life, it actually creates neuropathways in their brain. They've showed me the brain scans. I know you're thinking, ah, science fiction. Dude, I'll show them to you. They have actually scanned the minds of people who have subjected their lives to spiritual disciplines over time, and you can see neural pathways that are starting to grow like angiogenesis does in the heart. When there's a blockage, it creates an, a new route. The mind does the same thing when you immerse it into spiritual disciplines. So to guard your heart, you have to get out of your life things that keep dragging it down, things that remind you of the culture. You're saying, oh, it's all right. We can. You can't do it. You got to get this stuff out of your eyesight in order for your heart to be free of distractions. That is the hard rigor and grit. So if you think this is just, come give my heart to Jesus, and he does all the work. Honey, you never been more wrong. You got to help him by guarding your heart against distractions and finally Grow it. Put your hearts, the most important part about you, inside of good 
culture and soil. Find somebody on this campus who loves you, but they're not beholden to you, and they're not impressed with you, and they will call you out. They'll say hard things to you. That'll hurt. But if you subject yourself to the discipline and the rigor of their response, God will grow your heart. Some years ago, I was teaching an off-site theology class, one-week intensives. I'm about halfway through the week, and we'd go on lunch break, and there was this guy about my height, and he's twice as wide. And he'd come in the back of my class. He wasn't in the class. He'd come in the back of my class, and while I was talking to the students, he'd be doing this whole time while he's looking at me. Well, I caught him out of the corner of my eye, and I started getting a little nervous. Then we got on lunch break, and he would sit a table over and just watch and stare. I'm thinking, this old boy is stalking me. And then I'm thinking, what can I do about it? I can't do anything. He's bigger than me. This went on for two more days till the last day of class. I'm sitting at lunch, and this guy comes, and he sits right across from me at the table, and he says, you remember me? Uh-uh. Thank heavens. He said, I was in a church in Newcastle, Indiana, and you came and talked in my church. He said, I'm a former minister in the Methodist church, and I was battling pornography for so long, and it was tearing me up. And he said, it wasn't just the imaginations. It was the images that I was putting in front of me. And then after that, he said, I, I started to act out on these images. He said, I went through years of sin, confess, sin, confess. He said, and then all of a sudden, I leave the ministry, I get another job, and I come walking into the back of a church one day because my wife insists on going, and you have the nerve to stand up there and tell me to stop asking for forgiveness. I said, what did I say? He said, you told me to ask for a new heart. Did you? He said, I did. And now he started to cry. And that was when I went, Phew. He said, Pastor Steve, God has done something on my inside life that I can't describe. He has changed my desires, my fascinations, my love and attention is only for my wife, never for someone else. Things that used to attract me, I now abhor, and things I couldn't stand, I'm drawn to. I said, brother, that's a miracle. God's given you a new heart. A year later, the man comes back to my church, walking down the center aisle with his wife at his side. He says, I want to introduce you to my wife. God has changed my life. He's changed my marriage because he's changed my heart. Wherever you end up, your heart always went there first. If God could change your heart, you'd be surprised at what would be open to you. So I want to ask you this morning, do you want to start that journey?